Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch Blackpool. For more information, please visit ccblackpool.co.uk. Great, well, it's lovely to be with you all. I come in each time. Um, it's great to be part of a loving, Bible-believing, Holy Spirit-filled church, isn't it? You know, when you read 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says how you should meet together. He doesn't say you should have one chap up the front doing it all and you just and join in. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, when you come together, everyone has a gift, a tongue, interpretation, a song, a reading. That's what the Apostle Paul was saying should be the norm. And that's what's happening here, isn't it? I was brought up in a Baptist church, it was a lovely Baptist church, but it was all done up the front. And it was all so controlled, so you knew exactly what was going on all the time. I see a spontaneity in the scripture, don't you? I, I love to come every Sunday and think, what's going to happen today? It's all going to be decently in order. There's nothing going weird. But isn't that exciting? I mean, I was singing a song in, what language was that? What language were you singing? Ibu. Ibo. Ibu. How about that? We sang a song at our church the other day called, it was a Makanaka. Uh, and that's, do you know that one? Maka, naka, ma, and that, that's uh, Zimbabwean. And, and what is lovely is our, our cultures start to blend and we learn from one another, don't we? It's great, isn't it? So when you come on a Sunday, don't be shy. You see, I was brought up in this way, we just sat there and is my prayer good enough and is it available? Actually, we need you to pray because you've got a different relationship with, jo- with God than I have, haven't you? Yes? You've got your own unique relationship with him. So when you start to pray, you reveal some of that relationship. I think, wow, that's helpful. Wow, that's good. That enriches me. So don't be shy. I mean, I pounced on dear Shagon today. He didn't mind. It was a lovely prayer. Then I grabbed hold of Isaac. Because they're both willing to pray and love the Lord. Think, is it, wor- is it worth me praying? Yes, it is. Wasn't that lovely prayers, both of those? And lovely, you're sharing about yourself. It's all new, isn't it? Woo. It's a new relationship with God. See, church isn't lots of forms. It's working a relationship out with God. And he's not like us sometimes. And he drives me mad sometimes, doesn't he? The way he blesses some people, not other people. But it's my problem, his, isn't it? But he loves you. And he's going to help you through all you're going through. Such a thrill to hear that. Thank you for sharing that. He's got you. Don't worry, he's not going to let you go. <laughs> what was I talking about? Nothing. All right, here we are. Okay, I just put this verse up here. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Well, that's not bad, is it? So as you come this morning, I'm going to consider how can I spur my brothers and sisters on towards love and good deeds? That can't be bad, can it? Not giving up meeting together. Oh, dear me. As some are in the habit of doing. Called back in Paul's day. Well, actually, it's the writer of Hebrews. People will go, oh, I'll take it or leave it. He says, the habit of some people, wow. But he says, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day of Jesus' return approaching. That's the point, isn't it? He is coming back. I don't know when. But I want to encourage and build you up to good deeds today. So let's be quick because someone's doing the kids' work out there. <laughs> that is a ministry, isn't it? Eh? 
I came this morning, there was a great bit, a lot of worship going on. Do you know what the worship was, Clem? Moving that thing there, moving that out there, putting leads around here. I had to put the chairs out. That was worship, wasn't it? Yes. People laying their lives down. And you didn't see any of it, a lot of you. Now, there's people out there with the kids serving for us. That's wonderful, don't you think? Bless them, Lord. You know what your kids are? They're perfect. (laughs) Not. Bless them, Lord. (sighs) Right. (laughs) We are like the first churches in the New Testament. Small groups meeting together. I was reading Philippians the other day. Do you know what their early church was like? Do you know what that church was like? You come in and there was a slave girl that had been demonized and oppressed with the spirit and was fortune telling. And Paul managed to cast the demon out. And because she was no good then to her slave owners, so they took her in and looked after her. There she is at the back row. Next to her is Lydia. She's a businesswoman. If you read Acts, Acts 6, Acts 16, she's a businesswoman selling purple robes and stuff. Whoa. She had a group of praying friends. They used to meet down the, 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 the river and pray sometimes. So you've got this slave girl. But next to Lydia, you've got the jailer. Now he's an ex-soldier, and he locked Paul and Silas up, and an earthquake had got them free, and he thought he was going to kill himself because he's lost, lost his job. But Paul said, whoa, 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 Don't, we're all here. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And he was thoroughly saved and baptised the same night. And so in the church, you've got a slave girl, a businesswoman, some of her mates, a soldier, a rough soldier too, with his family, motley crew. Look around the room. We've got a motley crew here, haven't we? <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Let's see if I can get this to work. You see, they were separated from gods, all these people, They were separated from Christ and all that was there. And Paul actually says this. He says, remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. That's to do with the the law of God. Without hope and without God in the world. And that's what you are like. If you're not born again of Jesus, not loving Jesus, not having him as your Lord, you're without God and without hope in the world. Isn't that awful? I don't know how they get by. I can't get through a day without the Lord helping me. It's interesting, isn't it? And so what happened? These early Christians suddenly realized their isolation and their need for Christ. And they came to him. And in coming to him, they found a new brother and a new sister. Wow. And they suddenly found that they were part of a family. So let's try this again, shall we? This will be interesting. Ah. John writes this, doesn't he? About those, they didn't receive Jesus. But he says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. These people simply believed in Jesus, put their trust in him. And as they did that, God gave them the right to become children of God. 
Do you believe in Jesus? You're his child. Once he's your kid, once you're his child, you're always his child. If you're born again of God, which is what happens when you believe in Jesus, he does something in you. It means I can go to Australia, but I'm still his. I can go to Hawaii, I'm still his. I can have the deepest pit of despair, I'm still his. My own children have to bear the name Ascot, not a wonderful name for a child. They can move to Australia and call themselves Jones, but they're still my kids. If you're born of the Spirit of God, you're his child. He's not going to let you go. And for these early Christians, it was wonderful because suddenly they were part of a family. Because if I'm a child of God, then I have brothers and sisters. True? So when we understand he loves us and died for us and calls us to be saved and join his family, it thrills us and it humbles us at the same time. Because we know we've done nothing to save ourselves, do we? We've done nothing. He's done it all. He's poured out on us, we who are undeserving. Now, it's quite interesting when you've got those early churches, because they were made of strange conjunctions of people. For example, you could have a slave owner over there, and their slave sitting there. And Paul would say, I want you to greet one another with a holy kiss. Well, that was like handshake, or a hug we would call it. But I, I should think, outsiders looking at the church meeting, you think, what are they meeting with them for? They're poor. They're despised. That's, that's a slave. What's going on? And then to see them come and kiss one another, not the, <laughs> that's not a holy kiss. <laughs> holy kiss, as you know, it's an Eastern kiss. <laughs> but to see them hug, you know, there's this slave owner hugging a slave. Why? Because they both need Christ. They are both sinners saved, aren't they? There's no partiality. God is impartial. no partiality. God says, no, I love you all. And so what happens is when you start to love Jesus, you begin to come down on all those prejudices that will be there. <clears throat> Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He said that to a small group of 12 men, as you know. But he was announcing a new community. See, a church is a building. In other words, it's not a building. <laughs> it's a building of our lives together. Jesus says, I'm going to build a church of people who are the building blocks of this new building. And if you want to follow me, I'm going to build you into the lives and with the lives of other people. He was announcing a new community, a new family built on the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Saviour, the Lord of all. And of course, this is always God's intention. If you go back to somewhere like Ezekiel 36, he says, uh, you shall dwell in the land I give you. I gave you our fathers, really. And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. God's whole intention, if you look at the Old Testament, was to have a people, to have a family. Where, and I'll give you a land, you can live in that land. And you can follow my ways, not the ways of the world. And I'll be your God and you'll be my people. His intention was always to have a people, not individuals. Yeah? So even Jesus, when he's coming, and, and he's brokenhearted over Jerusalem, he says, oh, Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem. He says, I would, how I would have gathered you as children together, like a hen gathers a brood under her wings, and you would not come to me. Can you see how he, he wanted to gather can you see how God is rubbing his hands with glee at the moment? Why? 
because there are thousands of churches worshipping Father together. This family is one of them. God must be thinking, oh, look, this is lovely. <laughs> look at that group. Look at that. Look, wow, that one's just become a Christian. Wow, look at that one's changing their life. That one's, their marriage is being mended because they've turned to me. Can you see how Father God's loving it, yeah? And because before us, the baton was passed on because God was doing stuff in Australia today, hours before. And then through <laughs> Eastern Europe, <laughs> into the West, go on to America, wouldn't he? Five hours time. Can you see how wonderful that is? And God just wants to gather a community. So the church here is special to him. <laughs> and when I look at um, who Jesus chose as disciples, two stand out as really opposites. He had Simon Zelotes, who was a terrorist, who was ambushing Romans. If a Roman went into certain parts, a Roman soldier on their own, they often got knifed. He was a resistance worker. He hated Rome. He was zealous for his country. And in the same band of 12 disciples, we have Matthew. And Matthew is taking money from the, his own people, charging extra to put in his pocket, and giving that to the Romans. We can say, hold on, Jesus, how can you put people like that together? I mean, naturally, they would be killing each other. Well, Simon would be killing Matthew. Matthew would be running for it, I expect. But they were learning that actually this new community <laughs> meant they had to come under the kingdom of with those values. Their allegiance to Jesus trumped their previous personal ambition, <laughs> their racism in some, in some ways. They were now living for the kingdom and they were built into his ways. Today we live in a culture of individualism, don't we? Where it's all about me and my identity. I think I identify as a Chinese person. I think, <laughs> I, think I identify as a chicken or something, I don't know. Um, but it's all about me. If it works for me, it's fine. If it's not doing anybody else harm, it's fine. And, and I, I think last time I reminded you that in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve wanted to be individual apart from God. They, they insulted God. It was like a slap in the face of God. Not physically, but in his heart. Adam said, in effect, I don't trust you, God, anymore to provide the best life for me. I think I know better than you what the best life is. I reject your love. I reject your wisdom. I reject you as my all-wise, all-providing father. I vote for myself as a sovereign in this relationship. I will do it my way. And that was how man scorned the greatness and the beauty and the worth and love of God. It was an outrageous, violent action. Piper says, here's the problem. Falling beings are oblivious to the magnitude of that outrage. Most people don't know that that's what it is between them and God. They might say, oh, I do pray to God occasionally, but they are living in to God. So he's oh, not important. In fact, I'm going to run my own life, thanks. It's only when they get desperate, they start to call out to a God they hope's there just to fix them, instead of saying he's the God of the universe who loves them anyway. And so I think modern life is very individual. It's, you know, people are cast away from God. No wonder they feel isolated, 
and insecure. <laughs> and then we have all sorts of mental help that's needed there because they are struggling to find who am I? They're told that we were made by an explosion, randomness, and we're going to nothingness, and they're meant to have some purpose in the middle. How absurd. Without God, without hope in the world. Added to that, there's a great distrust of authority figures, aren't there? Politicians, Christian celebrities even. Uh, they get exposed to be hypocritical and shameful. Who can we trust? I think we know who we can trust, don't we? We need to trust somebody who is trustworthy. We need someone we can trust who is faithful at all times. We can trust God Almighty, can't we? And we can accept Jesus. You see, we don't want to be individual. We're saying, Lord, I want you to be Lord over my life. We want to declare that God's word actually is the final authority on how I live. His faithfulness is from everlasting to everlasting. So with these early Christians and with us today, we're living in a very secular society that don't know where and they don't belong. And God is saying, here's the gospel. Come and get saved. Come and have peace with God. Come and have hope again. Come and belong. Believing the good news of Jesus not only brings us back into a relationship with God and gives us a purpose to live with, but also gives us a family to belong to. Church culture should be all about him and his family. We have a purpose to live for and a family to belong to. Is that good news? Can I say, do you know you belong here? Yes? You belong. Because you belong to God. You matter to him. You matter to us. So Jesus' aim is to have his church gathered together in every place in every generation. It's interesting, the first, book, uh, first church in Acts chapter 2, it grew. How did it grow? It wasn't just believers getting believed. I mean, 3,000 got saved. How about that? Would you like that? 3,000 just got saved. Look after them, will you? Mm. Oh. Could have a back massage as well. It says in Acts chapter 2, they, they prayed, they loved each other, shared good belongings, listened to the teaching, broke bread together, and it says, and the Lord added to them. So anyone who became a Christian was added to the church, yeah? Didn't just go off on their own, they belonged. That's why Paul says, you are members of God's very own family. You belong in God's household with every other Christian. That's where you belong. That's your home now. Isn't that great news? It's, he talks about the family is the church of the living God, the support and foundation of the truth. This family. Wow. It's the support and foundation of... Because we declare the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. We declare the truth. And therefore, this church becomes the support and foundation of that. Phil Moore says this, Since you need other Christians, missing church is folly. Since other Christians need you, missing church is fraud. <laughs> I quite like that. If you're not gathering with your people, your brothers and sisters, is Jesus really your Lord? Is he really your 
a loving father, as it were. We need one another, don't we? We were made to need one another. A Christian without a church family is an orphan. Through Jesus, we are joined to all who belong to him. A bit like a spokes of a wheel. Jesus in the middle. The nearer you get to Jesus with your spoke, oh, the nearer you get to one another. <laughs> That's why the New Testament metaphors for the church are all about our relationship. Look at these. These are some of the New Testament metaphors for the church. The good shepherd and his flock of sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. If he is my good shepherd, I'm part of his flock, following him with others. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I'm the vine, you are the branches, says Jesus. Again, joined to him and to one another. Not in a clingy sort of way, but in a careful, loving, freely giving sort of way. It's talked about built on the foundation with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. Remember I talked about Jesus said, I will build my church. He talks here, this is Paul talking about we are living stones. Always moving about, but being built together. Notice that He's the chief cornerstone. If he's your chief cornerstone that you're building your life on, guess what? You'll be building next to other people. They do us good, don't they? The head and the body. Individual parts working together for the good of all. Now you're the body of Christ. And each one of you is part of it. You're important. Now you might say, but I'm not very important. I don't care if you're an earlobe. I need you to hear properly so the ear can work properly. I don't care if you're hair up the nose. Because you're filtering out some dirty things. Some things we can see, some things we can't. Paul talks about the hidden things. Some things we cover up, but they're vital. I remember uh, a, a, a teacher when I was a kid didn't turn up for a week. And he, he said, uh, when he came back, he caught an infection on the cochlea in his ear, which is a very small little kind of bone. You can hardly see it. But he got an infection, and when he stood up, he kept falling down. Couldn't stand up, kept falling down. So you might be a cochlear in the ear of the Lord, but you're needed. We're all needed. We are. Every one of us. Do you hear that? Yes. You have worth. Jesus died for you. Other people might rubbish you, reject you, whatever. Jesus paid on the nail for you. Jesus loves you. And you're, we need you. You might not think you need to be here. We need your friendship, your love. Wow. So... All those show us that belonging to Jesus always means to be part of his church. I put down here, a disconnected Christian is like a football player without a team. Oh, you're good at football. I'm brilliant at football. Yeah, but you're meant to be playing in a team. Or you could be a soldier without a regiment. Where are you going? Where are you serving? Or a violin player without an orchestra. No, 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 nicely play. You're meant to be playing with others. That's when you shine. That's where you support other instruments. Or I put down a sheep without a flock. That's dodgy, isn't it? If a sheep's not in the flock, watch out. Mr. Fox, Mr. Wolf will come and get you. Or it could be a child without a family. Jesus said, I'll build my church. His local churches are vital. It's not just the big church. It's the local church. So when you read Revelation chapters 2 and 3, 
you'll find Jesus walking among seven lampstands, which are seven churches in what is now Turkey, was Asia Minor. And for each church, Jesus loves them and has words for them, has a warning, has a promise. So when Jesus looks at Blackpool, he'll see many churches over Fly, is it? Fly, we call it? Filed. Always get that wrong. The L, the other side. Yeah, filed. As he's looking, there are many churches. There's one church, but they're comprised, like the seven churches in Revelation, of individual churches that do relate to each other. Each one is precious. Christ Blackpool is very, very precious. Did you know that? He is actually jealous for you that you will grow well and you will love each other. He's looking to you whether you'll love him by caring for each other. Who is it all for? All this work of Jesus doing this, that and the other. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed Jesus to be head of everything for what? For his church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You see, why has God placed all things under the feet of Jesus and appointed to be the head of everything? Who's it for? For the church. See, that thing. See, his whole plan is coming. When this age is finished, Jesus returns and a new heaven and a new earth is there. He's going to actually bring his glorious bride together. That's his purpose. The whole purpose of his salvation, the whole purpose of him coming to the earth, the whole purpose for creation was to have a people who could